Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Hi, my name is Rob Brown. And, uh, on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, we are continuing our series of Women Leaders in Accounting and Fintech. I'm thrilled to have with me today four very special, prominent and influential female guests that know this world very well. I'm going to introduce them. Well, they'll introduce themselves in just a moment and tell you a little bit about their world. And then we'll be talking about diversity and leadership as it pertains to the accounting and fintech world, not just for women, but for everybody. So pin your ears back and get ready for what these lovely ladies have to say. Ola, I'm going to start with you. Would you give us a little introduction so everybody knows who you are? Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Um, I'm Orla Collins. I'm president of ACCA, which is the global body of professional accountants. Um, as president, I guess I'm proud to represent more than three quarters of a million members and future members in 178 countries. I think ACCA actively promotes women participation in accounting. And actually, we've all done so since we were formed in 1904. We were the first professional accountancy body to admit women. That was Ethel Ers Purdy, our first female member, who's still very fondly remembered as a pioneer. We dedicate Ashley events to her memory, memory every year on International Women's Day. And then if I think of just some statistics, since we are all accountants, our chief executive is a woman, that's Helen Brand. Two thirds of our executive team are women. The majority of our governing global council are women. And actually most of our future members are women, but we aren't complacent and the battle for fairness has never won. But we are pleased that women, the ACCA, and accountancy as somewhere that they can build a rewarding, successful and satisfying career with a fair and equal chance of progress. Thank you. Thank you, Ola. You, you've said a bit of that before, haven't you? That was very slick and accomplished. Uh, but goodness me, it only seems five minutes ago since women got the vote and were allowed to go into golf clubs and play soccer and you are blazing a trail. So kudos to you for that. That's terrific. Uh, Garana, let's come to you next. Uh, hi, everyone. So my name is Garana Stojanovic. I'm the Executive Director of Strategy and Communications at Pram Global. Uh, Pram Global, as you can see this side, uh, is the best association of independent accounting and advisory uh, firms. We are in top five. Uh, I have been at Pram Global now for six years, and I have seen a lot of development. I, I was very impressed by what you were saying, Orla. And I think, you know, when I just joined Pram Global, my impression was that we do have quite a bit of a way to go when it comes to, um, you know, women being better represented uh, in our member firms, in accounting profession, uh, you know, wide, uh, and also within our boards and regional councils. And I have seen so much change over the last six years uh, to better, and, and that's something that's really good. But I do feel this profession has a way to go. So Rob, thank you so much for setting up uh, this panel, because I think it's really important for us to raise these issues. Just a little bit about my role. I, as I said, I'm director of both communications um, and strategy. So in my strategy role, uh, I'm working very closely with our boards, uh, management team, and also our regional councils to kind of um, um, have the vision for Prime Global for the future, you know, set, set our direction uh, as well. Um, so, that, you know, that's really interesting because I get to speak to our members about what they're facing within their firms each day uh, and also how that reflects on their work with Prime Global and what we can do to help our members in those areas. And one of the big things we're working on this year is actually uh, diversity, equity and inclusion and also culture, workplace culture. And we are talking a lot about gender inequality uh, as well. I'm also director of communications, so that's kind of my creative hat on. So I have to do with things like internal and external communications, uh, PR, brand, um, design, digital strategy, and so on. So that's quite interesting as well. It kind of, if if I'll take your words uh, for it, Rob, but that's kind of maybe more my creative female side of the of the role where where I do um, creative things every day. So it's 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 a nice mix in 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 this industry for sure. And you obviously have more hours in your day than the rest of us, Grana. So congratulations on that. And Nicola, hello to you. A little introduction from you, please. My name is Nicola McCauley. I uh, work for Creases. Um, I sit within our private client team there. And Creases really, our sort of strap line, I suppose, is we help our clients' dreams come true, which seems uh, perhaps a bit of an odd way of introducing an accountancy practice. But I would say we're definitely very different to other accountancy practices. 
And um, rather than sort of um, focusing on the products, very much interested in understanding our clients, what makes our clients tick, what are their hopes and dreams, can we help them get there quicker, better, etc. I personally, my background, you know, as an accountant and, you know, and then over the years have developed into um, a tax advisor, you know, working with private clients really from birth to death. Thank you very much. Good to have you with us. And last but not least, Jody Paydar, my old friend. Good to see you, Jody. A little introduction from you, please. Sure. Thanks, Rob. So I'm Jody Paydar, the radical CPA, probably one of um, only a handful of branded CPAs, right? Um, and radical I am. So uh, I, you know, kind of jumped out of traditional CPA firms uh, a little over 15 years ago and started to radicalize the profession and really have haven't stopped. Um, and it's really about like change and automation and making a better life for accountants, because that's what we all want, both women and men. It's not just a, a woman thing. It's really an everyone thing that the accountants really need to understand that you can, you know, have a profitable accounting firm and you can have a life too. And of course it would be a woman who um, would figure out how to do that. Right. Just let's just say it as it is. Right, Rob. But um, my not current disagreeing role, with you, Jody, at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, my current role is VP of tax strategy and evangelism at April. And April is a fintech and we are embedding tax into banking institutions, um, basically to make self or do it yourself taxes a lot easier for the everyday taxpayer, right? Um, and we're going to evolve, but it's, it's an interesting space to play in right now because we see lots of um, firm owners not wanting to do 1040s anyways. So um, I think there's a perfect market opportunity for the do-it-yourself market to kind of up their game and also to um, evolve to, I'll say, putting a little bit of advisory in it. So like the accountant can actually do what the accountant does best and not spend all their time collecting data and rekeying it into um, tax software. And, and that's what April hopes to do. It hopes to kind of change that. Um, and so owned my own firm for 15 years, kind of changed everything. And then, um, you know, now really am on the automation, the technology side, and I'm loving it. And there's still um, not enough women on this side either. So it doesn't matter where you sit. There's never enough women in the room. True that. And uh, full disclosure, uh, my wife is female. All of my children are female, my two daughters. Uh, we had a female dog not so long back and a female gecko. And uh it is wonderful to champion what women do to the profession in the whole of fintech. We've got four very strong voices here. I'm really excited to get into what we're going to share today. And let's kick off with just setting the scene. And Ola, I'll start with you again on this one. What makes diversity important in the accounting and fintech world? Because we have traditionally seen this profession as male-dominated, but things are changing. They're right? changing all right. And actually, the world has changed a lot over one or two generations. I think traditional views on suitable occupations for women have changed as well. I know when I left school, the professions were very, very much male dominated area. I have to say they're probably still sexist attitude, but where once they were mainstream and common, they're now much rarer and increasingly viewed as unacceptable. I think uh, the moral argument about equality for women is over actually in most places. It's increasingly a business argument for improving not just opportunities for women, but for diversity generally. Uh, I believe businesses know now that unless their leadership looks like and understands its customers, it'll struggle to connect. So addressing diversity is probably also a reputational issue. And, you know, if I look to my own kind of day job as well, more bigger investors are building diversity measures and ESG issues into their decision making. So simply they won't invest in a business which can show a long-term commitment to sustainability and diversity. Uh, I think also businesses that are in a battle worldwide to win the best talent. We all hear now the great resignation going on. So why would any sensible business tie its own hands behind its back by not casting the recruitment net as wide as possible? So the troubles and the trials of the world are too great for men to tackle on their own, is what I say. Amen to that. Nicely put. And uh, yeah, there are so many things going on. Jody, you've been in this game a long time. Uh, a few years ago, we wouldn't be talking about diversity, but nowadays we're all so woke, we're so sensitive, we want to get it right. As Ola said, you get called out for a not getting diversity right. So why is it important for you? So um, I think it's just important for me because like when you think about it, there are lots of women accountants 
they graduate, right? We're, I think, 50, 51 or whatever. We're right around the same when we graduate. But the problem is, isn't in the new grads. The problem is as they raise the ranks, right? So what happens is, and and there's, you know, debate about it. Um, when you have your kids, when you don't, do you take a step back? How does that affect your career? And that was my story personally, right? Like, so I came off a really bad tax season. My son was born. My son was born March 31st, which is not good. He was six weeks early and I was fired. Basically, I went back to work because it, it, it's April 15th is a tax deadline. So you can't have a baby March 31st, right? That's not, that doesn't work in a firm. And basically I went back after leave and I was let go, right? And th- I mean, that's my story. That was 20 years ago, right? And you'd like to say, oh, it doesn't happen anymore, but it kind of does. And so the interesting thing to me though, is the women who I see who have been really, really successful in traditional firm leadership are the ones who left. So basically they went, they started their own things. They built their own businesses. They figured it out because they had to figure it out. And then they come and they get acquired by these bigger firms because, you know, they can't find women leadership, right? So I think that's an interesting dynamic and something that probably hasn't been looked at enough lately. But um, yeah, I just think that... um, the problem isn't with women in the profession. The problem is is with women leadership in the profession. And why don't women get to that next level? And I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers, but I do know that you can work part-time and you're not a part-time worker. And I think that's the beginning of it is that you really have to look at what people contribute, measure on results, not on time, which is, I mean, again, that's an old school um, timekeeping belief system that's stuck in the accounting world. And if we actually measured women on their results, not on the hours they spent doing the job, we'd probably have a lot more women in leadership. And so, you know, that that's my takeaway is we got to really look at results, not at time spent. And the profession as a whole will be a lot better. Absolutely. And conversations like this will definitely help that. Nicola, diversity is rising to the top of the agendas for leaders in accounting firms, networks, associations all over the world. Why is that in your view? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, for me sitting in practice, to be quite honest, the most important thing for me is that the clients get best possible service, best possible advice. And that comes from a broad range of different people who will feed in with different ideas. So I think getting that diversity really helps us have a better product, a better service for the clients. You know, I think, you know, everyone brings something to the table. And I think, you know, for me, diversity is getting the best people, you know, sharing those ideas, listening to each other and, you know, yeah, delivering that that excellent client service. Mm. Garano, I know Prime Global are very big on diversity. You put a lot of thought leadership out there. I know you see uh, Stephen Heathcote very much, uh, top of his agenda. Why is it a big deal for you? Um, I think, as I said before, you know, that we realize that this profession really needs to change in the sense that we need to be more diverse. And that's not just gender uh, equality, that's, you know, on all levels, and that we are actually missing out on so much talent. So, you know, that's really something that we've heard back from our members. We do speak to our members a lot and we really want to know what's relevant, you know, what's important. And then we respond by offering whatever members benefits we have, thought leadership and, and, and so on. And so we have really identified this as, as something that's really relevant for our members where they can see that they're actually losing out, uh, you know, if they don't change things. And as I said, there's been a lot of change in the last five years, but it's it's, it's incredible how in this profession it has come quite late. Uh, you know, we have, for example, Women's Leadership Conference every year. Uh, we organize that mostly in the United States, but we have participants from all over the world. And the kind of stories you hear and how difficult it is for women to become partners, uh, you know, what it means, you know, part-time working and so on. Jody, you made such relevant points. You know, I, just to kind of give you like a, a little bit of a personal flavor here, but I have just come back from maternity leave uh, two weeks ago myself, you know, and, and you really kind of get reminded you know how different you know our past can be and how uh, you know we really kind of have so much talent to offer but we just need to be able to be flexible to fit in more things in the hours that we have to you know be aware of kind of what life looks like for women and you know how they can be best uh, helped really to to offer the best kind of support and talent that they have so it, it is something that we're hearing every year these conferences bring great insights, speaking to our members as well. And, and we have realized that we really need to help our members in the profession uh, to do uh, more around it. And thank you all for setting the scene. Uh, if you've got any other remarks on that before we move on, then be ready to share them. But I was just taken by 
Nicola's point that if we go back to the clients, we know that there are more women entrepreneurs starting businesses now often than men. We know that the generational gap, there are more, the average age of a business owner here in the UK was late 40s, just a few years ago. Now it's down to the mid 30s. So in having a, an accounting firm that represents those clients, we need more women. Not necessarily you need a woman accountant to look after women business owners, but certainly we look for relatability. And the stale male and pale 50, 60-year-old accountant looking after a 20, 30-year-old business owner of either gender, we've got to be a lot more representative, which speaks to diversity. So any final thoughts on that before I dip into your own career paths and journeys? Definitely. Actually, Rob, I just remembered something that I, I always think as really remarkable. We have a, a firm in Thailand um, and it didn't, you know, it, it wasn't their policy, but it just happened that they ended up only employing women. Uh, and that's, you know, because they really felt like there is so much talent and it's just that the women there couldn't manage the kind of full-time working hours you know from nine to five and so on so they became very flexible you know and they really kind of organized the, the whole working culture around them and I think that you know reminds me a little bit of what you said maybe it's not the age different but it was like different but it was actually the gender difference so it was um, you know the owner of that firm who's realized that and realized what a great potential they have that's unused and you know then opened that firm and organized things around these women so so I think that's an interesting model and I'm sure there are models like that around the world that are facilitating um, these challenges. Ola, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I just, your point there in relation to looking at, you know, new entrepreneurs and the age diversity, because that's another aspect of diversity that we think about. But I always think you either connect with or will build a relationship with people either that you can communicate with or that you aspire to be like. So I think the piece is in accountancy firms, it's that, uh, what is our target audience? How do we communicate with them? Or do they aspire to be like us and therefore we can set the agenda? And I think that's the mindset that's changing now. And you talk about like when we, we've done lots and lots of research on, you know, Gen Z and even now the next generation after that. And it's how they want to be communicated with their Pershaw for bite-sized information, quick and fast. It's quite different to the way we engaged when we entered the workforce, how we communicated with each other. And I think really it's firms have to change. And I've seen a few accountancy firms some that focus on the women and they're doing phenomenally well. I've seen others that are focusing on that younger generation. And again, they've changed how they communicate. I think the other piece, which is offers that novelty in a way, but not novelty anymore because it is a reality, is how people actually do business. Now. So gone are the days, you know, years and years ago where you had your bookkeepers in a central location because the data was in a central location and everything was physical. So you had to be together. We're in a very connected but disparate world now, but it means that we can all be disparate around the world and also that kind of hybrid working hybrid and new ways of engaging with people all play into the whole diversity agenda for example I was telling Rob earlier like I started my day this morning 7 30 before my coffee recording a webinar with colleagues in Australia and New Zealand you know in the old days either them or me would have to have flown, hopped on a plane and flown somewhere and all been together where we could do it in a, in a new world, kind of sitting in your, your home office and working away. So I think the piece is that firms need to look to who their clients are. And I mentioned earlier about emanating our clients. You need to look and understand your clients, communicate with them in the right way. And also that means the opportunities there in relation to the whole diversity spectrum besides gender, age, ethnicity, and other things as well. And let's not get into the whole gender thing, him, her, and, and all the genders in between. So let's talk about your own career paths. And Jodie, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, was it plain sailing your route to the top or did you have to fight tooth and nail to get to where you are? Give us a little flavor of that with any pivotal points. Um, so <laughs> it's funny. So I, so when I left my firm and I actually joined my dad, but like it really became a new firm. Right. And I was looking for new ways of working because the technology was changing. They didn't call it the cloud back then. It was early cloud, um, just the internet. And I was working, doing things differently. And the business owners that I connected with were young business owners. Cause I was young at that time. I was in my early thirties. And it was funny because where did you go to find out how to do things? Because the state CPA societies, the, they weren't doing anything different. It was the same old, same old. So where was I going to learn? So I went to Twitter and that was 2008, 2009. And Twitter was like, oh my God, CPAs can't be on Twitter. You're giving tax advice. That's bad, bad, bad. Don't go to Twitter. 
And so I tweeted and I blogged and I complained a lot and I came up with these newfangled ideas and people started to follow them. And people told me that I was wrong, that I was crazy, that this was bad. That's, you know, when you have a good idea because it's polarizing, right? Well, you were so, disruptive, Jody, weren't you? You always have. I was extremely disruptive and the old guard didn't like it. And again, where there's power, there's money, there's, there's a lot to be said there. But I was just young and dumb and had nothing to lose. And I was like, I'm going to keep talking my, my, uh, my, my values, what, what was important, things needed to change. And I became this blogger and all these ideas. And then people started to steal my ideas, which was like not really fair. And I didn't even think that they would like, then all of a sudden they be the same people who thought they were bad ideas now claimed them as their own ideas, right? Because they kind of like evolved a little bit. And so then they claimed them as their own. And, and now like, I'll say we all get along, but it's, it's interesting to see how disruption happens and how people like, first they hold you down, then they realize that they actually have legs and then they start to like, to, to share those ideas. So, you know, fast forward now, the stuff that I talked about years ago that they thought was never going to happen was, is it's every day now. Right. And so I think, um, for anyone who's coming out with new ideas or doing things differently is you have to have conviction and you have to stick with it because it doesn't happen overnight. And the people who will eventually support you will be some of your biggest, like, um, you know, at the very beginning, they're not going to, they're not going to like it. They're not going to accept it. So I, I think that's, that's part of it. But I think what was, what was good for me was that it was the right thing, right? Like I knew what I was doing was the right thing. And so I could continue to do it, even though people were telling me, no, it didn't work or whatever. And, and so that's why I was so radical. So it's funny because people say, why are you so radical? What you talk about today is not very exciting. Well, guess what? 15 years ago, it was radical. Nobody was talking about it 15 years ago. And so now I just have to put the push the boundaries and talk about machine learning, artificial intelligence, complete automation, and what's next so that I maintain my radical view set. Yeah, so you've got to keep evolving. Yesterday's radical is today's norm. So yeah, I totally get that, Jody. And uh, Nicola, your route to the top, was that plain sailing, a walk in the park, or did you have any overcomings there? I think um, so. I worked for a very traditional accountancy firm, it, it, you know, very much where the partners, you know, traditional partners, sort of 15 partners, let's say, who all, um, you know, almost worked in silos, I suppose. I worked for a variety of them. So I got to kind of learn and take out of each of them the best bits that worked for me. But in terms of actually, I guess I got to a level where I felt quite stagnated, quite frustrated, probably occurred about the same time as I had a family. And suddenly I was seen as a sort of a part-time worker, that sort of second-class citizen, I suppose. And um, frustratingly, you know, it took a while for me to realize, you know what, this isn't going to change. I need change. I need to be in the right environment for me to really succeed. Um, so I spent quite a long time looking as to exactly what I was looking for. And I joined my current firm just over five years ago. And I can honestly say it was the best move I made in terms of moving to really quite an entrepreneurial accountancy practice. We are a single office practice, but very much where we all work together. There's no silos. You know, I have a lot of autonomy with what I do, how I do, who I work with, how I do it. And a lot of cross um, collaboration with the other directors, partners here, which was really lacking before. So I think for me, it, you know, it, it, it was making that decision to move, coming to what is a really entrepreneurial environment to work. We're constantly changing things, the way we do things. You know what? If we change something, it doesn't work. You know what? We learn from it. We move on. And we're constantly you know, changing. So I think for me, the biggest thing in my career has been embracing change, changing and just keep evolving, doing things differently and uh, taking the team with us on that journey as well. And Garana, we talk about adapting to change. We have choices, don't we? If we don't like where we work now, or the culture's toxic, we can go somewhere else. And that speaks to a diverse talent pool. So how has your career path been in getting to the top? Well, it's interesting that probably on this call, I'm the only one who's not an accountant. Uh, so I, I I'm have not a an legal... accountant. 
You're not an accountant. <laughs> good. Good. I don't feel I'm alone. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I have a legal background, but I, I have done a lot of different things in my career. So mostly public affairs, advocacy and lobbying. Uh, and so I have really kind of moved from industry to industry. Um, and it was really interesting when I came into uh, the accounting profession. It really felt like I was kind of the only one uh, who doesn't come from that world. And that was both really good and also really difficult because, you know, when I came in, the kind of ideas I brought in were so new and so fresh and so creative. And that was embraced in a way. But at the same time, it was maybe sometimes too different. Uh, so I remember, you know, even kind of, you know, uh, bringing the world of digital to, you know, um, an accounting association and, and to a lot of our friends around the world who weren't really familiar with the benefits of it was, you know, like a huge a uh, huge thing so you know it it's it's interesting because you kind of wait and see is it really going to be embraced is it just that normal human reaction to change and then once you facilitate that you know you can get great results and it can be really embraced or you think maybe this industry is not quite for me and I was very fortunate that you know especially Prem Global members have all really in the past five years moved forward so quickly and and so it became really what I wanted to do so I moved kind of from just directional communications to directional strategy role as well and that has been uh, great for me but it hasn't been easy um, at the beginning and I think it that doesn't have to do with my gender though it, it has to do more with kind of uh, maybe this profession being a little bit more traditional in in certain ways of doing things seeing things thinking about the future being very risk averse you know so when you come in with kind of groundbreaking ideas and wanting to change everything all at once you know it is it can be difficult uh but it it, it, it has been a success so so for me uh definitely it has worked out but you know at the beginning I did have my doubts I have to say that <laughs> and Ola I can picture you in, on the streets of Dublin as a 16 year old did you always want to follow the accounting route or were you did you have a paper round and selling lemonade on the street corners how did it all start for you and where did you end up I have to say I'm laughing because one thing I always think about about 20 years ago I was working in a company that was based in an old Georgian building in Dublin so if you can imagine there were lots of small officers rather than what we see now with big open plan spaces and I can still vividly remember being on my own in one of the offices that I shared with two other accountants and actually when people came in looking for my colleague who was away from their desk the visitor would immediately turn to me and ask me do they have free time in their diaries now granted I was the junior in the office but as the only woman, those visitors all assumed I was the PA. So I think that was probably one thing that stopped me. I will just be as good as anybody else. And it made me want to do more. Um, but I think there, you know, Nicola talked about role models. And we often talk about managers versus leaders. And I probably say I've worked, you know, for some tulips in my time. But I can definitely identify those, you know, leaders who encourage me at key stages in my career. And I'd always be forever grateful for them. And these people, you know, recognized and probably encouraged me and mentored me to guide me. And one of which as well was an ACCA member who's now um, was a senior leader in my company. So suggested to a 20 something year old Orla, who at that point I thought my career path was lined out within finance. Uh, that was the rest of my life sorted and suggested what I consider a move from finance into a compliance role. And I have to say, I never looked back from that point on. And I guess ACCA, I probably got involved in ACCA because I just wanted to give back a little bit to my qualification. Started probably within the financial services networks in Ireland. Got a taste of the global reach of ACCA when I attended an international assembly, which uh, we talk about as being our United Nations. We get people from about 50 countries in a room together and talk about strategy, issues that affect them and members. And that really gave me an interest to get more involved on a global level with ACCA. So I did stand then for election to council. And from that, I've served my time. So I've done the hard graft, I think, in relation to committees and uh, working groups and things. And, you know, now as president, I guess I'd probably say that it's a privilege and a pleasure that I get to attend events, for example, like a ceremony at Oxford Brooks University, where I kind of stood up and I looked in the auditorium and there was so many female faces. And it was great to show them that there's a place for women at the top of the profession, as I say, including president of 
the world's leading global professional accountancy body. But I think it also means women to have success in finance should try their hardest to reach a hand down as well and help younger people up on the way. So although I've had pivotal points and obstacles, I'd always think that the important thing is look behind us and make sure we, we pull people up as well. Let's talk about your leadership styles. We've already had some mentions of mentors and maybe even anti-role models. I'm on the record. My father was an alcoholic and he was a lousy father. And I disowned him when I was 18 and changed my name. And I became a good father based on all the things my father wasn't. So we do have anti-role models as well. That's not the way I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to avoid doing it his way or her way. So Nicola, I'll come to you first on this one. Talk to us about your leadership style and who's influenced you along the way. I think that there would be, as you say, that anti kind of, there's a lot of things that I've seen over the years that I just don't take that approach do it to me like I know what I don't want to be like so I guess focusing on what I do want to be like you know I, I want to work with a team who are you know really inquisitive who are always trying to go that step further who are you know who are really keen to share ideas you know there is a forum to you know to take those ideas and run with them you know some of them will be really good ideas and I think if we don't listen to the team below us the, 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 you know and I think you know and I say to each level within our organization you know in order for you to move on you need to make sure the team behind you are coming up too so that you can elevate so I think there's a lot of you know delegation in order to, to elevate I think it, it's working you know acting as a role model you know what there is a balance in life it can be achieved and you know that work-life balance looks different for different people you know I have you know some of my colleagues, you know, let's say they have a dog. So they go and they, you know, take a long lunch to go and walk their dog at lunchtime. There's all kinds of, you know, demands that people have on their lives. And I think, you know, recognizing that and recognizing there's not one way to do things is really powerful and valuing, you know, actually, what are the results? What are we actually doing? You know, let's judge people on their results rather than kind of how they go about doing it necessarily, I suppose. Karan, and what's your style of leadership and who's influenced you along the way? One thing that somebody's just recently told me from my team is that um, I always encourage them to make mistakes. And I thought it was really funny, but, you know, after a little bit of kind of talking about it, I've realized that, you know, it is actually true, uh, especially when you're managing some, somebody who's kind of at the beginning of their career, uh, especially if they're very good at what they do, they're very scared of making mistakes. Uh, and well, we're in accounting and, and accounting is very black and white and binary and right and wrong. Like mathematics, when I was a maths teacher, it taking risks is not something to be applauded, but we know what you mean. No, exactly. Because, you know, sometimes that's the only way to learn. And so, you know, of course, when it comes to giving clients work and so on, you do want the manager to just double check, but then still you can learn from those mistakes. But if you do it with kindness and when, if you kind of try to have a conversation about, you know, what you could have done better and let that person actually think of that solution themselves and be able to reflect on their work and then improve in that way. I think, you know, that really, really helps instead of kind of beating them down. Uh, and I think for myself in my career, that has been kind of the same principle that I've tried to apply instead of, you know, because we all make mistakes, you know, whatever they are. And I, and I don't mean just client work. I mean, you know, maybe a wrong step in your career, wrong uh, direction, you know, you beat yourself over, you know, something that you think you could have done better and so on. Instead of that, I just always really encourage kind of reflecting back and learning from your mistakes and thinking what you can do differently and what you can do better next time. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned from my mentors um, as well. And I have taken that on board as well with my leadership style. We're speaking here about a more vulnerable, authentic leadership style. Garana mentioned the word kindness. You wouldn't associate that with some of the male leaders of old, if you like, that were very testosterone and power driven. There was a certain arrogance about them. But women come across as much more collaborative and collegiate in their approach. Does that distinguish your style of leadership? Probably does. And it's interesting that you talk about history. Um, I would think, you know, and I look at style of leadership, I look at supportive, the greater good, that collective sense to achieve together and doing something, you know, that is probably different or trying new things. And I have to say there are many great leaders who I admire for very different reasons, and I would pull from their different styles, benefiting on the, you know, depending on what the task in hand is. Um, I know we're here and I know it might be a cliche talking about old days, but there is one person from the old days, because I think any of the people I admire now would be all too um, 
would like me to call out their they're too uh what they say uh, humble <laughs> for me to call out their names so I'll think about someone who isn't with us anymore and you know I talked about female pioneers with Ethel Purdy and I know it is a bit of a cliche but I'm very proud of her and I think you know she was born in 1874 when women had few rights as citizens, you know, no right to vote, no right to own property if they were married, limited rights to actually pursue a career and education. And she worked at a post office, paid into a pension. And then when she got married, she was horrified to discover that her hard earned nest egg was now in the possession of her husband. So she said it's her pension and she should be entitled to it and get your own pension to the husband. So what she did was actually she set about educating herself and bettering herself in the world of pension and finance. And the more she learned, she realized the injustice that kept women in a state of kind of legal and financial servitude. And I think five years later then, in 1909, armed with all her qualifications, which she earned by night school, which I did all my study by night school as well, in correspondence classes, she became the first female member of a professional accountancy body. Now, I think the bit of her genius, you know, in becoming a member, but what I admire most is she didn't just walk in through the door. She held it open for other women. She used her education and her professional status to launch a practice which advised women on their finances. And she then campaigned for changes to the law to ensure that we could claim our own independence and legal identity that was distinct from husbands or fathers. So to me, she is truly inspirational. And I think, you know, I'm only in the tenure of uh, president of ACCA for one year. But I'd hope if I have encouraged women to come after me and encouraged some others to think of the profession, you know, I believe I've, I've achieved some of my goals. And Jodie, I've interviewed a lot of female leaders and I hear a phrase defeminization, women that feel they have had to be more masculine to lead over men and to get their voice heard. You're radical in your approach. You don't mind being disruptive and bullshit, but sometimes ambition and, and bullshitness and being outspoken in a woman are not qualities associated with leadership. So talk to us a little bit about your style. Um, so it, it's funny because I'm just me. So like, <laughs> it's not like I'm trying to be like that or not. I, that's just probably who I am as a person. And so I don't temper myself for whatever conversation I'm in and either, and the older you get, the more you realize either they're going to like you or they're not. And but you it, do have filters, Jodi, aren't you? You're discerning, you have filters, you judge your words. So I think sometimes um, women's, um, they just need to be more confident, right? Like I think their, their personal thing is, is like a lot of times um, guys like don't have all the qualifications for the job, but they'll apply anyways. But a woman thinks she needs like 110% of the qualifications before she even puts her name in. Right. And so I think just helping kind of the next generation or people understand, or especially women to understand that you don't have to have all the qualifications to put your hat in the, you know, in the ring or whatever to just get started. Right. Or to just take that chance. And I think that's what holds most women back. It is, it's just, their lack of confidence just because they're afraid to put their name in the ring. Right. And, and so, you know, kind of, that's my advice for them. But for me, like even personally, I look at myself as a mentor, like my co-founders are 30 years old. They could be my children. And I love it. I absolutely love working for the next generation because I grew up in old school firms working for boomers and the limitations that they put on their selves and the, the, the hours that they made themselves work and all of those things aren't such great tributes to have, right? Like got, got them where they were, but the next gen, they have a lot more realistic views on work-life balance and where work should fit in their lifestyle. And so for me now in my career, as I work for this, these next gen, I absolutely love it. And I would encourage anyone to find a men, uh, like I said, a mentor, because I'm part mentor, part intern, right? To actually go like learn from the next gen. Don't like look to your elders always, but learn to the next gen for, you know, um, inspiration and creativity and how to kind of um, evolve because the world is definitely changing and it's changing for them. Um, it's not going backwards, right? So we we need to embrace kind of the newness and um, and figure that out as we move forward in the world. And I like it that we're starting to think more practically about what works, because I want to bring up the topic of culture. We're all in leadership roles here, and we inspire communities and tribes and staff and colleagues. We're all in a, an influential role. So uh, 
Uh, Goran, I'll start with you on this one. What works for leaders in setting a culture that is more inclusive and diverse? Well, I think you you kind of have to set the example yourself. So it's also, you know, about your behavior, because I think, you know, that's really looked at and, and that can really send a strong uh, message. And then it's really... Be the change you want to be. Exa kind of exactly. And then it's also about, you know, talking about things. So, you know, in the past, you know, in, in many organizations you've seen I work in communications so you know when when kind of something really bad happens let's say in the past everybody just used to kind of you know hide it under the carpet and just you know kind of not talk about it at all and you know the first rule you you learn when you're working in PR and communications is that no you kind of need to address it head on and you need to talk about it and you need to talk about you know you need to apologize and you need to talk about what are going to be the next steps that you're going to take to change the situation now i'm not saying about big scare you know talking about big scandals here in our profession but even the little things you know even how you know women don't get promoted you know the the boardrooms are full of men of certain age and certain skin color and so on uh, i mean those are the things that you know we didn't talk about enough in the past I think and so as leaders I think we really need to see that we need to address it we need to talk about it it is it is now becoming you know a big thing a big trend that everybody's talking about but it wasn't like that just a few years ago and so it's just about kind of looking in the future as well what is the next thing that's coming up uh, and making sure that you address it as an organization and you talk about it openly so you see what the issues are and then you find solutions and all of muhammad ali said it ain't bragging if you've done it and when we talk about setting a culture of diversity and inclusion you've definitely done that at the aca cca you're modeling that aren't you with women in definitive positions of leadership yeah but it, it doesn't come easy and it does take a lot of work and I think the word culture you know is vital here you know special programs and quotas may have their place but I'd always say they could be taken away I think cultural change is more permanent and it's about building a respect for fairness and equality into every aspect of an organization's activities at all levels and that's what we've done in ACCA and in some ways, you know, it is harder to lead a in a complex world with many complex challenges. But I think success in business is increasingly measured in lots more ways than simple profit and loss. And that's a good and necessary development if we're to build more sustainable businesses, economies and worlds. But in terms of leading in the area of diversity, I think it's easier in a way because most places we're actually pushing an open door. The arguments have largely been won that diversification is needed. And I, I believe that discrimination is now probably the exception, not the mainstream. You can't stand out, can you? You don't have a platform if you choose to be discriminatory in any way. It, it just doesn't work. And uh, Jody, for you, setting culture, developing a more inclusive and diverse environment, you're doing it naturally, but uh, what would you say really works? So I think it starts with um, results and judging people on results, not on like, I mean, like you read all the stuff, like culture is not a ping pong table, right? Culture is not. It, it, if you start judging people on results and you give people the means to get there, they will get there and they will surprise you. And that means not measuring their time. It means not measuring that they're working from nine to five. Now, some cultures still want to maintain that, but you know, my team has always worked at four o'clock in the morning. If that's when they wanted to work, I don't care when they work, just get your stuff done. Right. So like, what does culture mean to to you figuring it out and then like just um i think giving your team the tools to get to where they need like to do their work right and I always think of it kind of like college, right? Like why some kids go to college and they're very successful in that environment where they know they get their stuff done and, and they do well. And some kids don't kind of make that <laughs> transition to college very well, right? And to me, your employees should be like they're at college. You, they need to know when they need to show up for meetings and the rest of the time, just get your stuff done. And, and that's a very progressive model, but if you're working in a global economy where half your developers are across the world, it doesn't matter what time you're working because someone's online anyways. Like our developers are in Tel Aviv. So if you're up in the middle of the night and you're working, chances are someone's on Slack anyways. So um, I, I just think that accounting firms as a whole, the world as a whole has to embrace this new way of working and that we truly do live in a global economy and that time is really irrelevant. And um, expectations need to be set up front and then your culture should be re 
results driven. Um, and if everybody's aligned in that, then you're going to have an amazing team, an amazing culture and an amazing company. It's almost a gender blind or general neutral approach to building a workforce in that it is on the impact you make and the value that you add regardless of anything else that's going on. I'm getting some nods there. Nicola, let's finish with you on this one. You've got a CEO, Emma Roberts. She's been on one of these panels. You have a, a strong, diverse culture there at Creases. What works for you in setting culture? I think, you know, we're really clear that, you know, top of the list is ensuring that our staff here are what we call masters of their own destinies. So therefore, you know, we give them autonomy. We've set the metrics. We've set the sort of the vision. We know where we're going. We know what the, the milestones might be. We, we've set all those. We review those regularly. Everyone knows where we're going, what the next steps are. Everyone is the master of their own destiny to get there. You know, really key, you know, you know, you know, we've got good clients, you know, um, good clients, good staff. You've got a great business there. And I think that those things are so important. You know, we ensure all our staff have what we call an individual big picture plan. So, OK, what are the things that are important to you? So my managers, I will say to them, OK, you know, what are the important things to you work wise? What about outside work? People have all kinds of different sort of things, pulling and pushing. You know, these days, and it's not all about the nine to five these days. It is what do you want to get out of life? Do you want to run that marathon? Do you need to take a long run at lunchtime? Do you have to walk the dog? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to take a long break? You know, how are you going to organize your time in order to do that? And really giving people ultimate flexibility. Yes, absolutely delivering those results, but allowing them to decide how they do that. And quite honestly, it, it makes for a really happy workforce and people are keen then to work together. We have come a long way from chaining newly qualified accountants to a desk for 10 to 15 years or getting someone in a dark room writing code in order to push on to build a career. So uh, this is wonderful. Let's finish, uh, ladies, if we may, with closing remarks and just some practical tips that you would say for the leaders out there, maybe women in accounting, of course, to get their voice more recognized, to get more promoted and move into leadership positions, that credibility. but this message might well go out to leaders in general of, of how they approach their career. And Nicola, I'll circle back to you on this one, just to kick us off with this. Two or three tips for the listeners out there to practically take away and increase their career capital, if you like. I think the first one for me is be inquisitive, ask questions. In my mind, there's no such thing as a silly question. And actually, I think you can learn a lot from asking those questions. I think, secondly, for me, be yourself be authentic don't try and be somebody you're not you know I think that that was probably one of the mistakes I made early on in my career but certainly now I think just being yourself being authentic and um, I think you know thirdly you know what if you want to move up that ladder okay what are the expectations what is the next step what do I need to demonstrate to get that and just being really clear that that's what that's what I want to do and making sure you get people around you to support you to achieve that. And Jody, thoughts for you on, on practical tips. Authenticity, you've lived your whole life, so you would resonate with what Nicola said there. What would you say to the listeners and watchers here? Be willing to take a risk. I, I mean, the big, like, you're not going to go, you're not going to jump leaps and bounds by not taking risks. So for the people who say, oh, I want to get to the top, but they're like not taking a risk. They're not reaching for that next level position that they don't have all the skills for, but they're afraid. Guess what? You got to put your, you, you got to take a step. You got to take a chance, take that risk because you're not going to raise without taking risks. So the biggest risks are going to give you the biggest rewards. So, and I say do them earlier in your career because it's a lot easier. And I think the other thing is, is to make sure that you, that you show up and you substantiate what you talk about. Right. So like one of the things that I think uh, people don't realize is, is that if you're going to have a value, you're going to, to make a big splash, you're going to put it out there. Just make sure you can back up your stuff because um, you know, it's one of those things that uh, there's a lot of influencers in the world today, but they don't have substance behind them. So as you go around influencing um, your own cultures, your own teams, everything, just make sure like you're ready there and you can substantiate your your, your point of view because that's really, really important. That's, that's very good. It. There's a lot of hot air and hype. We know that in our world, Jody, in the influencer world that we move in. So uh, I'm just thinking, you reminded me of a proverb that I know, and I know it in two languages, Jody. I know it in Colombian and English. It's the only Colombian I know 
And it goes like this, nada en la vida se consiga si no arriesga al otro lado. And that means nothing in worth is nothing in life is worth having that doesn't lie on the other side of a risk. So I only knew it because I was working in a summer camp in Florida and my co-counselor was Colombian. And I that was my mantra for life. And I, I got him to tell me how to translate it. So taking risks, definitely. Gorana, let's ask you your tips for the people watching and listening, particularly the women that want to rise up through the ranks and be more recognized for what they do. Uh, we've already heard so much good advice from Nicola and from Jody and think being inquisitive and then taking risks and being brave and having that confidence. I think that's really important. So I'd just like to repeat that. But also, you know, not being afraid of being disruptive, of being innovative, of being creative. You know, uh, it, it does happen very often that kind of, especially in, in certain professions, that you're almost being put back into a certain box. And, you know, if you feel that you have things to say and you have good and creative ideas, I think there will be people who will listen. You just need to find the right person. And if the place is not right for you, uh, then it's also okay to, to move on. And as I said before, yes, you will also make mistakes uh, along the way, but you'll learn from that so finding good mentors who can help you kind of get the most out of those experiences and then take them on board and learn from it and progress in your career from it I think that's really valuable so I would say seek out those people yeah very good and Anna will have the last words for you now I'm just thinking of a a recent podcast that's come out is with Meghan Markle we all know who she is it's called Archetypes and her first guest on her first podcast was Serena Williams they grew up in the same suburb of Los Angeles. They're the same age. They've been friends for a long time. And Meghan Markle asked Serena Williams about the word ambition. You talk about being disruptive, Gorana. You mentioned it too, Joe. Is ambition a dirty word? And is it okay with men and a desirable trait and perhaps not so with women? So we are in challenging times and disruptive times. It is good to shine a light and be a little bit different. So we're getting that message very clearly. Ola, final words of wisdom from you to the watchers and listeners on what they can do to go faster to the top with more authenticity. Thanks, Rob. And I think, you know, Garan will say communicate and communicate again. So I'm probably going to repeat a little bit of what um, everybody has said. I think definitely, you know, if you have an accounting qualification, work on building your network, get involved in your associations at a local or national or international level, whatever works for you. I think, you know, we talked to there about mentors identify a mentor and somebody that can challenge you effectively outside of your normal day job and really look for that and i think the other thing you, you talked about ability i'd really say have confidence in your ability you know concentrate on what you can or could do given the chance not what you can't and the thing is when that door of opportunity opens take the step grab the opportunity with both hands I think men are still more likely to take a punt on a promotion, even if they don't meet all of the criteria. And women are more likely to second guess themselves and say, there's no point. I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. So what I'd say to the listeners is tell yourself, yes, there is. Yes, you are. And yes, you can. And I'll probably end by saying my wish is that more women will walk through that door of opportunity to claim their right to a good education, fulfilling career and a great opportunity and probably most importantly that they emulate those words of echo and hold that door open for those coming after us well beautiful words to finish uh, so succinct uh, Ola, Gorana, Jody, uh, Nicola thank you so much for your time your passion your insights today inspiring the current and the next generation and even making some of the men in the world think twice about the way they set culture and be more diverse and inclusive. We really appreciate everything that you've shared today and we'll close it there. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.